Welcome to the Alpha Dude Podcast with Michael Pulser. What would it be like if you knew that you were unstoppable and you could live life on your terms? Better yet, how good would it feel knowing that on your deathbed, you had fulfilled all your potential and more? Life on Earth has a beginning and an end. It's what you do in the middle that counts. Let's look at how to make that part even better. What do you call the graduates from a secret society? Illuminati. Everyone has heard of secret societies and their hidden secrets. One of the more interesting aspects is their initiations. Have you ever wondered why secret societies, groups, and various other clubs have these initiations? These are important and are discussed deeper in other sections. But most of these groups have no idea and perform these rituals as a rite of passage so that they can feel good about themselves later when the individual gets their turn to humiliate other people in turn. Pretty lame, I know, but they could have got the same kick from trying out the alpha male frame instead. But I guess that's all they got. Perhaps some others try this process because of the camaraderie that accompanies the process. If two people have gone through humiliation, then they share a common experience and bond. Albeit, if these same two people took time out to try and enrich each other and have a great experience together, the closeness would ensure as well. However, the more enlightened societies have a purpose greater than this. Humiliation is used for what it can bring the individual. This is not being humbled to a lower level. This is more about being given a reference experience, which can be used to help the individual during difficult periods of his or her life. Through the experience and the power of contrast, it may be transferred positively into other areas of one's life. Being unintentional in this will lead to further problems. Being severely humiliated can scar people and damage them. There is no shortage of people being scarred for life from a bully in school. However, turning the emotion into something useful can be powerful. There are three approaches. Number one, the person can decide that the event was so bad that they want to start to do things to avoid getting hurt. This is known as the coping strategy. Number two, the person can work out that the event was insignificant in comparison to the scheme of things and get on with life. This is the healthy functioning strategy. Or number three, the person can use the anger to be motivated towards whatever he means to choose. This may, this may mean to become more successful than the bully, perhaps to become a bully, or it could backfire and cause resentment in life. This is the revenge strategy or the alternative. Use the experience as a reference frame. To be humiliated and have it as a permanent reference often means that people fall into the revenge or victim frame. Although to take the feelings and put them in a place inside your mind, not the heart, this can be more useful. Before completely illustrating the point, take another example. In martial arts, we say that those who train differently get different results. They say that if you sweat in the gym more, you bleed less in the street. There are some fighters who go deeper and say, you cannot ever hurt me 
as badly as I've hurt myself in the gym. These people have gone through broken bones, weekly beatings, and really gotten hurt, all in their preparation training. This means that the fear of a street fight is no longer that much of a big deal. Everyone is scared of a street fight because you can get hurt pretty badly. Ironically, being hurt worse by yourself makes the notion of being hurt by others not such a big deal. So back to humiliation. Everyone is scared of humiliation. So why don't you just ask that question in class or speak in front of the group or ask something you don't want? Underneath it all, the fear of humiliation leaves us all tied up. To break the ropes of humiliation is one of the most liberating experiences known to man. That's where you experience deep humiliation for the sake of personal growth. To know this, make the humiliation a powerful experience, not a scarring one. Secret societies, therefore, humiliate to attain a humiliation so bad that nothing else will be as bad in the future in comparison. This ensures braveness to take on future tasks that others would avoid in fear of humiliation. So if secret societies use this tactic, why can't you? Reframing past humiliations as a pivotal point of growth so that you can think to yourself, well, if that happened in the past, I can definitely handle this future problem, knowing that you are firstly less likely to ever be as badly humiliated again as you were in the past. And secondly, if you were to suffer that fate, in retrospect, you can still see that you got here, that you can get through it. The world didn't blow up. You're okay. Remove that fear. With the knowledge that you can grow from graded exposure and not be held back by humiliation, it is important to be aware of what you will stand for in advance. And this brings us to our next section where we examine boundaries. The boundaries tell others how to treat you and puts a limit on negatively how you will act or react. Once you have a boundary condition that is enforced, not only will others not be able to manipulate you, but you will prevent most of the problems. If there is a temptation and a boundary condition is set, the temptation automatically loses its surprising pull power. And this not only solves the problem, but if others notice that the low-hanging fruits no longer sway you, your value and respect in others' eyes are greatly enhanced. Get a pen and write down specific things you won't tolerate in your life. This is imperative because past experiences tell us that we are not ready for that backhanded insult or manipulation when it comes out of nowhere. By knowing in advance possible scenarios and thinking about them in detail, while not under pressure, you can formulate a plan so you'll be ready for the next time someone wants to take advantage of you. When doing this, initially there's a lot of emotion involved and you will see soon that people are often angry more at themselves than at other people. And all the hostility that you see is in your mind's eye. It rarely plays out. So as much as possible, leave your emotions out when going through the exercise initially and seek out all the alternatives and select the most suitable alternatives. Make them specific. Things that, such as, no one is to make fun of me unless it is mutually accepted 
that we do this to each other, or that no one is to talk over me, then write down the consequences. If someone does X, then I will do Y. For example, if someone teases me and it's not mutually accepted, that that's what we do in the nature of our relationship, then I will utilize the body language of an alpha male, speak with authority and let them know it's not accepted. Afterward, perhaps leave a cute remark. An application of this could be, for example, person one who hates himself and shows up by hating others, says to you in front of a group, look at this guy, he is underperforming and bringing down the company. Very cliche, I know. And your response could be, if you're here to evaluate me, make a booking. If not, then it's time for you to get back to work, buttercup. These boundaries let others know who you are and what you are about. And by being creative where appropriate, it lets you come off looking charismatic at the same time, rather than being bossy or sensitive. If you really do this, people will start to treat you as you show them how to. More importantly, these boundaries will tell you how to treat yourself. If you're paying close attention, you can see that the boundaries work for the individual as well as their associates. We've just covered how to insert them in relating to others, but how we relate to ourselves is always beyond awful. If people spoke to others the way we spoke to ourselves, it would be unimaginable. Remember the last mistake or faux pas you made that was big. Chances are that you possibly swore at yourself like most of us do. This is one example in which we can make a simple switch. Just by giving yourself boundaries on what goes on in your head. For example, if I become critical, then I will make a conscious effort to evaluate the situation and stop the insulting language, which I will replace with the facts. Then get the feedback and see what happens. It was a hard change initially, wasn't it? So start with the smaller issues and work your way up until you can control this inner dialogue for the worst of times. Following on from this, we can set boundaries in all aspects of our lives. As I might have mentioned before, I love the martial arts and while I don't train as much as I like to in Wing Chun anymore, it is a really cool system and I badly want to keep up the skills. So I have a boundary condition that I need to train in that style at least one class per month. And then when it's the last week of the month, if I haven't made room for it, I will cancel other plans just to make this happen. Thanks to this practice, I've been able to keep my goal and thank goodness for that because I'm planning my first trip to Hong Kong and it'd be tragic to go out there and find that I've lost all these skills when I train with some masters who live at the home of Wing Chun. Obviously, you can draw from this any boundaries that affect your own life. The best place to start is on what disturbs you most or what you would like to change the most and then move on from there. In order to make the boundaries stick, the ultimate goal should be internal consistency in that it is just a part of who you are. Currently, if someone was attacking your family physically and you had the means to stop them, likely you would because you probably have the boundary that is don't mess with my family. It takes not effort on your part and the reaction to defend them is just instinctual. When making change, Seek to embody this and make it a part of who we are. 
while at the early stages, watch for the positive impact of the changes primarily to make it a habit. Other strategies include the carrot and stick model of rewarding yourself somehow when you make a real improvement and possibly denying yourself a pleasure if you fail. Move on the carrot and stick. Next, what is life like? Life is like a bowl of cherries. Perhaps you have had the experience of waking up one day and you felt quite good. As I mentioned before, when I get up, I rise from the ultimate slumber chamber. Maybe it's the perfect temperature, the complete darkness from the blackout curtains, the massive pillows or fine linen that my wife is obsessed with. Maybe it's my wife. Maybe I've just put down a great book or I'm putting down the remote control that's controlling the flat screen TV in front of me with the cable TV. And as you can tell, I'm particularly precious about the bedroom. But whatever the case, Sometimes I rise and I feel good, and out of some desire, I feel the need to frame my life. A mindfulness practitioner may tell you that this is superfluous, but we all know how useful this can really be. It's just the thing about getting the right frame. Life is like toilet paper. You're either on a roll or taking on a crap from some a-hole. Despite this joke, it's a literal philosophy in some people's lives. Life is like a bowl of cherries, puts a frame around opportunities and being open to new experiences. Life is a game, may open yourself up to being more playful and finding more enjoyment in life. Life is a fight. The last analogy sounds destructive, but I have found this is perhaps the most useful. If your analogy is that life is a game and tragedy happens, disappointment ensures, no matter Whatever you call it, it is game over. But if life is a fight, you're expecting the worst, so you're ready for it, and the only disappointment is when it turns out to be okay. Life is a fight means that we fight against our inner roadblocks, apathy and fear. We rise against those who oppress others. We choose our battles by choosing what we are doing about it and fighting for it. In utilizing this analogy, we can create grander visions. Winning a fight may mean the end of a Nazi regime, personal glory, or saving an innocent from injustice. The stakes are high, so the preparation and the effort should match. If we have one life here on earth, we should be compelled to make it count. Arnold Schwarzenegger reported that it was indeed his grand vision that was responsible for his success in bodybuilding and of all of his other impressive pursuits. So stand up and get a bit bloodied and battered. Find out what you stand for and then fight for it. Work out who the opponent is and work out what the end goal is. The outcome means that you avoid disappointment and you feel powerful and accomplish things. The downside is that you can't hide behind cherries and games anymore, but it's worth it. Now obviously, you'll come to a place where rest is needed. To be in a fight mode 24-7 is simply exhausting. There are seasons for everything, and there will be times to rest and recoup, but always be prepared to fight. Whether it is mentally against your own inner struggles or with others in the context of social conflict, essentially make sure you're aware of your outcome so that you can put all your energy 
into fighting for the right reasons, not just picking a fight. This is a basic overview of the philosophy of the character of the alpha dude. This is the most powerful change because it's longer term. Although many people read philosophy and get nothing more than an intellectual buzz from the reading, that is not my goal for this podcast. I want changes. I want to see people as powerful and as respected as they can be right from the start. So if you want to do this, see life as a fight. Social constructs and norms are simply not set in stone. By navigating through these with a mindset, we can overcome barriers and have a lot of fun. Jason Cumley created the game Rejection Therapy and is on to talk about his experiences with social norms, humiliation, and how rejection can lead to acceptance. The first question is, you know, one or two experiences being humiliated and how it has benefited my personal development. And the second question is about social constructs and social norms. And of course, if this is relating to rejection therapy, a game I developed. For those listening that don't know what rejection therapy is, it's a game where there is only one rule, and that is to get rejected by someone in real life. The game is designed to help people overcome their fear of anxiety and their fear of rejection, uh, which it it does very well. The game comes with a deck of cards, and each card has a suggestion on how you can get rejected in real life. An example might be, ask for a discount when making a purchase. The objective is to get rejected by someone. So when you ask for a discount, you want to get a no. You want to get rejected. Uh, if you do get the discount, that means you are unsuccessful, and you need to try again until you get that no, until you get that rejection. So the game reframes rejection as success. So the social norm is that rejection is failure and that you should feel bad and humiliated because you didn't get what you wanted, what you asked for. But with rejection therapy, it reframes it as success. The thing is, though, is that I've never been humiliated playing rejection therapy, and I've received hundreds of emails from all around the world, and no one has ever said that they've been humiliated. Uh, emotionally beaten up? Yeah. Embarrassed? Yes. Discouraged? Yes. Uh, but mostly it's, you know, elated, feeling triumphant, feeling a sense of accomplishment, and feeling uninhibited. That's a lot more common. Humiliation is a very extreme kind of trauma, really. It's a devaluing, a deg degrading of, of a person. And with rejection therapy, as the player, you are setting up the situation, you are making the request, you are choosing the person. So in some ways, you're controlling the variability of it. And yes, uh, you know, sometimes there is rarely... But, you know, sometimes, occasionally, you'll get a little bit of hostility. But again, it's uh, it's only if you take that th 
that kind of stuff uh, really. And I think with rejection therapy, there is a sense of control over that and a, and a sense of play over that. Actually, you know, getting a yes is agreement is actually still a good thing and getting a no is a good thing too so it's even kind of a win-win so I've never actually been humiliated with that my my s personal sense of worth is non-negotiable in high school yes you know we um, our sense of self is more malleable we're more impressionable but uh, you know, as we grow older you know we realize how much we we define ourselves and our own worth so i'll give you an experience playing rejection therapy where i got rejected and it'll help me answer the second question about social constructs and social norms one time i asked a pharmacist out when she was at work at the pharmacy so i went to the pickup counter you know oblivious to the irony of that and instead of giving her a doctor's note with a prescription on it I asked her out and it was it seemed to be a really uncomfortable experience for her she explained that uh, you know she was seeing somebody else but how it relates to you know social constructs and social norms well a pharmacy is an institution that's a social construct and it's a place where you get pharmaceutical products and vitamins. It's um, it's not a place where you uh, pick up women. That's not the social norm. You know, when you go to the me the mechanics, you don't show them the the rash on your thigh, right? It's uh, there's certain understood and shared rules in this society, which I pr I transgressed. Uh, in that particular experience. Another thing that was outside the social norm is that I didn't even know her name. I had interacted with her a few times, and I think one time I made her laugh, but I never actually caught her name. And so when I asked her out, I didn't even know her name. Well, that's outside of social norm. That's actually a very cold approach, and and you're guaranteed to get a rejection that way. If there's a takeaway here, it is to transgress the social norms now and then. Change the rules, redefine a social construct like I did with rejection therapy, be more playful with life. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If so, rate it from the place you downloaded it. For any questions, send an email to michaelpulser at gmail.com. If you liked the podcast so far, you will love Michael Pulser's new book coming out soon, Alpha Dude Personal Upgrade. In this text, we look deeper at the Alpha Dude system with many not-seen-before tools and techniques which will upgrade you so you can fulfill your potential. Stay tuned for details.